Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Today's episode features two interviews about corporate development, which I recorded at the Association for Corporate Growth's Strategic Acquirer Summit last month in Dallas. The first interview explores corporate development in the tech space and features Kate Anisimov, who very recently joined Google, having previously worked in corporate development and strategy at Twitter. You'll hear Kate describe how she identifies and evaluates technology businesses and what unique challenges are associated with tech M&A. For the second interview, I sat down with Peter Troop, Vice President of Corporate Development at Veritive, a publicly traded B2B distributor of packaging, paper, and janitorial and sanitation products based in Atlanta. Peter described what Veritive's M&A activity looks like and how their deal team is structured, as well as what competition and disruption look like in their space. I also asked both Kate and Peter about how they measure success in their deals. The Strategic Acquirer Summit is one of the many events that ACG Global and its chapters host throughout the year. You can find events coming up near you at acg.org. We also just opened registration this week for our largest event, Intergrowth, which will be in Las Vegas on April 20th through the 22nd. You can sign up for that and learn more at intergrowth.org. With that, we'll get to today's episode. Here are my interviews with Kate Anisimov and Peter Troop. Kate is up first. Kate, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. To start, can you talk a little bit about your background and the types of organizations where you've worked? Sure. I've started my career in investment banking, executing a variety of transactions for multitude of clients in the tech space. I've spent years in GCA Savian and Goldman Sachs, after which I decided to do the same work, but in-house. And I've spent the last few years working at Twitter and most recently now joined Google. Since we're at a corporate development conference today, can you talk about what your role has been on, on corp dev teams? Yes. Uh, I would say it's best described as corp dev deal lead where the role ranges from the early, early stage of identifying the pipeline of targets to then reaching out to each individually to learning more about them, building relationships, to flagging which ones could be most interesting from acquisition perspective. Then to going into one-on-one negotiation with the particular target we picked out, really working closely with the deal sponsor internally, and as needed, external advisors and legal counsel, bankers, uh, to doing diligence and integration planning, collaborating super closely with our diligence and an integration functional leads as well as integration lead. And lastly, to closing and ensuring success of the deal as much as we can. And when you're working on a tech acquisition, can you walk us through some of the steps that you take to identify a target? It definitely depends on what the objective of the deal is. The objective is usually determined by the deal sponsor early on. We know what we're working towards, so we can build a better pipeline that fits that objective. And for example, it could be we need to diversify a business, therefore we need to find adjacencies that would fit well with our existing products, yet provide some new revenue streams. That could be one direction that we can take. Another direction when pipelining could be, we actually have gaps in our engineering organization where we want to move faster, we want to build products better, we just don't have enough people. So let's find the best talent, let's find the experts in this field and bring them on board through an hire. So in between on the spectrum lie all other transactions. 
uh, from big to small, from tech focused to product focused to people focused. And then this process of identifying the right target really depends on what we're trying to achieve. Many companies set out roadmaps and priorities for the year, or at least a quarter, half a year, or sometimes even next couple of years out. Um, it's really important for corp dev professional to really understand out of those priorities, which could be achieved inorganically through acquisitions. Uh, so we have regular conversations with business unit leaders, uh, talking to them about these priority areas, what is going on internally, what is the engineering and product organization focused on, and where they might need help. Help could be in form of an acquisition, could be partnership, so we also have to keep the build versus buy versus partner analysis in mind. Acquisition is not always the right solution, um, but if it is decided acquisition is the right solution, then we definitely need clear direction and objectives from that business unit leader. Why are we doing this acquisition and why particular set of targets could be a good fit. And when you're evaluating acquisitions that involve cutting edge technology, how is the tech itself evaluated? You know, is that something that's done by members of your deal team? Are you bringing in engineering support? And if the latter, like at what stage does that happen? Mm -hmm. We as CorpDev are definitely not experts in new and innovative technologies. However, we do take the first call and we are expected in the first 30 minutes or less, often less, to at least form an opinion whether or not this is worth to bring to our engineering or product leadership or team members. So I would say the expectation for CorpDev and for me is at high level, know enough about the innovation and the technology that exists and what would be considered new and different and special and unique and uncover that information in the first couple of meetings with the company. So really know how to ask the right questions and uh, without being an expert or engineer, still derive the useful information about their technology and how they are differentiated. Mm. Uh, after that, after the corp dev as the first pass kind of makes the decision that this is worth flagging to somebody in product or engineering, then at that stage, this is pretty early on, I would say, you would we would involve somebody uh, with the expertise in that particular tech area. I would say usually tends to be on a higher level where we're not diligencing the algorithms and the code, but where we set up a discussion for 30 minutes to an hour with somebody from our EPDR team, engineering product research and <laughs> design, to spend that time just talking about the product architecture, what we call tech talk, mm. um, understanding what problem the tech is solving and how it's solving it differently. We're still present, Corp Dev is still present in this meeting. However, we're not driving the conversation. The conversation is then driven by that product or engineering lead. And this is usually at like a higher level uh, because this is early on. Mm. If the decision after that is made that it is interesting, it does fit with our current technology usage or focus or gaps, then we would move forward to even further tech diligence where we would bring in more um, detailed <laughs> in the weeds, I would say, people who deal with that technology to really evaluate it, to potentially have um, schemas of how the architecture works, to talk about specific coding languages, who's doing what, how the processes work at the target. And that, I would say, is already moving to a pretty involved stage where we are trying to understand the technology itself and we've made a decision that's already interesting. 
Can you talk about what would be a deal breaker for you? So you were talking to a company, the price is right, it fits with the broader corp dev strategy. What's something that would still cause a deal to tank? There are definitely a few things and or a combination of few things that could happen. Um, it depends on what stage in the process it is too. If it's earlier on, maybe the diligence does uncover there's some red flags on the tax side that are either going to be difficult to mitigate or too costly to mitigate. So we might go back to the build versus buy analysis and say, well, we just now realize that this is going to cost this much time and effort and potentially money to scale to Twitter or Google or Facebook or etc. large company scale, mm-hmm. uh, where this is a startup. And right now it doesn't cost that much because they are operating with very little scale. And then you evaluate that against how much would it actually cost us then to go and hire the right people and build it ourselves. So at any point, you can still reevaluate the build versus buy and determine with new information if it still makes sense to pursue acquisition versus a partnership versus being a customer scenario versus building it yourself. Another thing that comes to mind, if you're already pretty far along in negotiation and it's not about the diligence necessarily, what could cause a deal to derail where you thought everything was actually going smoothly is, of course, regulatory approvals if you don't receive those. It's, of course, people changing their mind or being difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. And by people, I mean it could be anybody on the target side in the leadership level where you actually consider them key employee and you would like them to come over, but for some reason they are resisting. Or investors who, who might be very, very principled about the return they want to get and you, again, maybe don't necessarily agree on value with a particular investor who holds enough of share in order to block the deal or be annoying. Um, so you could agree in value with the founder and CEO mm-hmm. and both of you can have great alignment and, and be happy about it. But then somebody else can still come in and say, you know, I want more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be a combination really where um, originally when you started out evaluating this deal, your priorities were such that the deal thesis held out and it fit with the objectives of the deal. Mm-hmm. As time goes by, those priorities may change. So you might still agree on value. You might have good working relationship. The technology might be great. However, the company has pivoted or shifted its focus Mm -hmm. where the objective is no longer the same. Sometimes negotiations take months and in months time, a lot of things can change and happen. Mm -hmm. So then again, you would reevaluate the need for this acquisition. If you're no longer focusing on a particular problem, then maybe it's not worth acquiring, even if it's a great asset at a great price. It's just not going to overall contribute to the company objectives. Or what are some reasons that an organization might shift its M&A strategy over time? I think it's overall vision, especially when a company is still in that stage where they might have a couple of products and they're finding their way to be more present in people's lives with more products. Um, so shifting away from one business area to another could happen. Mm-hmm. And then you dedicate more resources to this new idea, for example, and positioning the company in a new light. Another reason for priorities to change could be tech debt, tech innovation on the flip side. You're really trying to achieve something. Let's say you're tr- tr- really trying to implement more AI and ML in your 
technology stack and provide better product through those technologies. Mm-hmm. So then maybe you dedicate dedicate a lot more of your engineering resources and hiring efforts to bring in those AI and ML engineers on board versus now acquiring a new product or a company that is going to not further that objective. And you've worked on a, a number of cross-border transactions. Are there particular challenges that apply in the tech space that may not exist in other industries? Yes, definitely. Most recent example that comes to mind is GDPR. We were doing a deal right in the middle of GDPR where uh, we ourselves are not yet fully 100% compliant and scrambling toward the deadline. Yet we had to acquire another company, which also uh, processed uh, user data and ensure that they will be GDPR compliant post-acquisition where pre-acquisition they were not. So I think that's one nuance where uh, different regulations and regulatory approvals necessary or compliance that's necessary country by country could be different. Uh, while in U.S., it, GDPR is not really the governing law, even though in California there's an equivalent coming out. Um, when you're dealing with global scale and users who do reside in European Union, you have to account for them. Another example is sometimes different industries have unionized workforce. So if you're acquiring an industrial manufacturing space, you would deal with that problem where you have to understand the rules of the unions and the workers' compensation and and how they expect to move forward under new acquirer. However, in tech, (laughs) it is less common to have those unionized workforces. So it's actually a positive thing that we don't have to deal with a lot. Can you talk about how you measure success after an acquisition? That is a great question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because it's hard. It's hard to sometimes just look at the metrics without understanding the context behind them. Um, let's say you you would like to measure success after a year of an acquisition. What I would recommend doing is, of course, looking at the original thesis mm-hmm. and the original reasons for doing the deal. And then measuring against those reasons a year later, let's say, and saying, did those reasons actually hold up? Did we achieve those milestones we were planning to achieve? If the milestone was revenue, did we hit the revenue numbers? If the milestone was retention, did we retain those people? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say it's hard is because a year is a long time Mm -hmm. and things will change. Not most likely, but they will change. (laughs) And it is important to also keep in mind that the deal thesis was created at a time where priorities were such. A year later, if priorities changed and all of a sudden those resources and the uh, target that was brought on on board were re assigned and reprioritized. Therefore, they did not hit the revenue numbers, but they actually contributed to a new priority and they actually were successful in doing something different for the company, which was not originally planned. Was that a measure of success or failure? Mm -hmm. So I would say it's actually really dependent on not only comparing to the original objectives and where did you hit them or not, but also comparing to the context of the situation. What did the people do? Did they still stay on the original objectives or um, did the target focus on something else? Was it necessary? Was it actually a good thing that they focused on something else and delivered other results which were not in the original objectives? Mm. Were those results even better than expected or were they worse and why? What happened? What caused it to be so? So I think the success measurement part is not easy, but if you are taking the right approach and have this 
open mind in the process of doing the success lessons learned or post-mortem, you can still derive a lot of meaningful information about how the deal went and learn for any further deals. Kate, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Up next is my conversation with Peter Troop, Vice President of Corporate Development at Verative. Peter, thanks for joining me. Sure, thanks for having me. Can you start by giving a brief overview of Veritive and what it is that you do? Sure. So Veritive is a publicly traded B2B distributor. We're the one of the largest distributors of packaging, paper, and janitorial and sanitation products in North America. And we're, we're based in Atlanta. Can you talk about your M&A activity? So the types of deals that you look for and roughly the number of transactions that you do in a given year? Sure. So, we, so the business um, was formed in 2014. Uh, and, and so the first couple of years, it was really spent integrating. And then uh, we shifted the strategy towards growth, which is where I came on board in 2016 to go execute that strategy. Mm-hmm. And so we've taken a very disciplined approach to acquisitions. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that, that Mary Lashing, our CEO, talks about is, you know, we're not looking to do a ton of deals. We're looking to do the right deal. And so we bought a business in 2016 called All American Containers, which at the time was about the fourth largest distributor of rigid packaging in the space. And it was a new a new substrate for us. We were, we were only in corrugated and films and had not spent any time around bottles and cans and glass. And so that was a really important acquisition for us because it was a new product set uh, and it was our ability to expand our customer base and the products that we can sell to our customers. Um, we've done a smaller acquisition in Asia since then, and then we've we've actually divested a small product line uh, as well. And are there particular disruptors or technologies that have influenced your approach to M and A? So we see disruption uh, both from our end markets as well as as in the industry. So about thirty or thirty five percent of our revenue is tied to paper, and so that's a that's a challenge. It's just in sector decline, and mm-hmm. so. You know, from that perspective, we, that's a business that's very important to us because it generates a lot of cash um, and it's a meaningful piece of our business. Um, you know, for the overall industry landscape, I think if you're if you're in distribution, you, you know, you need to be aware of Amazon, certainly, sure. just because of, of their power in the space. And so, you know, where we want to spend our time are looking for looking for businesses to buy that are higher growth, higher margin, and have some level of value-added service that you can provide to your customer. Because mm-hmm. if it's generally just, you know, you're, you're a break-bulk distributor competing on price, you know, long-term, you're, it's not a recipe for success. Hmm. And what does competition look like for you when you're going out for and looking for deals? I, I feel like this is an area that we hear about private equity right. investors becoming very interested in. So I'm curious what that looks like. So we get we get competition uh, both if we look at a packaging distributor, both from strategic buyers and for financial sponsors. Same thing for janitorial and sanitation as well. Um, and it's and, and we get a blend of private equity backed strategics as well. So add-ons mm-hmm. for portfolio companies. So you know the the sponsor community is very active and has been active in distribution for a long time. That they you know it's an area that it, it's a sector that that generates a tremendous amount of cash. Uh, you can put a significant amount of leverage on a distribution business. And so, you know, as a consequence, sponsors are going to be very active in the space. It's highly fragmented um, and highly scalable. So that those, those are really good attributes if you're a sponsor. So we see both 
competition from, from strategics and from financial sponsors. Mm-hmm. And given that competition, has that increased the speed at which your deal team has to work? You know, we, we're fairly nimble. Um, mm-hmm. So we, you know, t- the old saying goes, time kills all deals. And so we do want to move very quickly. But, you know, we certainly have to get all of our work done to make sure that, that we've diligenced the business an appropriate amount. And so, you know, we try to be a good, if it's in a if it's in a process, we try to be a good buyer, and, and, and so that way, if it's a if it's a wide process, we want to make sure that we're we're buttoned up and 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 are asking the right questions and are, and are being efficient. And, you know, so that way, if it if it comes down to a narrow process down the road, we want to be you know in that mix as well. So, you know, I think overall our behavior tends to err on the side of moving as quickly as possible, just because we want to we want to make sure that that we have a reputation of being a good buyer in the market. And one thing that I've heard at this event is it seems like uh, every corp dev team is structured a little bit differently. So can you talk about what that looks like at Averative? So we're pretty lean. I, I'm generally the sole I'm the sole member of the corp dev team, mm-hmm. but I'm part of what we call the M&A committee, which consists of our CEO, our CFO, and our general counsel, mm-hmm. and then one member of our senior leadership team. So we have, I mean, my day-to-day activity is focused on corp dev, and, and certainly we have a, a ton of resources at our disposal internally, you know, with tax, finance, operations, HR, et cetera. Um, so, you know, while my, well, the team is just me, it's me with a tremendous amount of resources behind me. Over the last couple of years, I was reading on your site, Veritive has announced some new sustainability initiatives. So packaging options that use plant-based fibers and materials that are recyclable or compostable. When you're evaluating a company, to what extent is sustainability a consideration? You know, in packaging, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's a it's a really important topic right now. And, you know, as a, as a distributor, you really see it on the product side. Um, in terms of, of selling products that are, you know, eco-friendly and, and sustainable. And so th- that's an area, just an end market that we really like. And, and it's an area that I think we want to spend some time and grow in. Um, you know, generally we have our own sustainability initiatives at Veritive. And so, you know, if if that initiative is not being enacted at that target, it certainly could be once we, once we own it. But, mm-hmm. you know, we think that's a really important area for us, particularly uh, as it relates to to rigid packaging where, you know, it's a lot, a lot of plastic and bottles and, and recyclable material. And so, you know, we think it's really important and a growth driver for the business. Did that initiative originate internally or is that something that's coming from demands from your customers? A little bit of both. Uh, you know, certainly customer behavior is going to drive overall industry trends. So if you look at for bottles, as an example, light weighting, so taking a plastic bottle and using the minimal amount of material where it actually retains its shape is really important because it's cheaper to ship and it's less materials used in the manufacturing process. So, you know, trends like that, you know, that's driven by, you know, customer demand of wanting a more environmentally friendly product. Mm-hmm. And so last question, how do you measure success in your deals? You know, we measure success both, I think, quantitatively and qualitatively. Certainly, if you put projections together for a business, you want them to hit their projections and you want to put them in a, in a position to succeed. Uh, you know, qualitatively, we look at, you know, did we treat the customers well? Do, you know, no, no customer disruptions, no supplier issues. You know, how are the employees reacting? You know, anytime there's an acquisition, there's always going to be culture issues. And, and culture is something really important to us at Veritive. And we want to make sure that the companies we buy have a culture that aligns with our own. And so that we think if you kind of cover those bases, generally you're going to set yourself up to be successful. Peter, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.